This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash free books to download this book in PDF format. By This Standard The Authority of God's Law Today by Greg L. Bonson Published by the Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas Copyright 1985 Letter E Summary of Old and New Testament Views of God's Law Chapter 15 Continuity Between the Covenants on the Law Quote, God's eternal and righteous law is unalterable according to the joint teaching of the Old and New Testaments. End quote. The purpose of the next two chapters will simply be to compare and contrast the outlook on the law of God which we find in the Old and New Testaments. Granted, there are many ways to summarize the theology of law in either testament. The present is only one among many. However, it hopefully serves a useful purpose, that of stressing the continuity between Old and New Testaments regarding God's law, over against contrary misconceptions fostered by some teachers, and of indicating salient points of discontinuity, over against the baseless fears of some that those who acknowledge the continuing validity of God's law today suppress or ignore important differences. Continuity between the Testaments Roman numeral 1 God's law is perpetual in its principles. Section A. The commandments of God are not deemed a uniquely Mosaic administration, but as obliging man from the beginning. 1. Before man's fall into sin, God delivered to him commandments which were his moral obligation, for instance, the creation ordinances of marriage, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, labor, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, and the Sabbath, Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, as well as the cultural mandate of dominion over creation, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Paul, too, would view the standards of morality as enforced from the very beginning, being constantly communicated through the general revelation, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. In particular, the creation ordinances, for example, Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, and cultural mandate, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, are applied in the New Testament. 2. The Old Testament shows that, as the New Testament teaches, Romans chapter 5, verses 13 through 14, between Adam and Moses, law was in the world. The Adamic covenant establishes a marital order, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, and the requirement of labor, Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, which are both authoritative in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. The Noahic covenant reaffirmed the cultural mandate, Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, and revealed God's standard of retribution against murderers, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, which are again valid in the New Testament, for example, Romans chapter 13, verse 4. In the Abrahamic covenant, we see that Abraham had commandments, statutes, and laws to keep, Genesis chapter 18, verse 19, and chapter 26, verse 5. And the New Testament commends to us Abraham's obedient faith. James chapter 2, verses 21 through 23. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 19. Moreover, prior to the special revelation of the Mosaic Law, we can see the perpetual validity of its moral standards in the example of God's judgment on Sodom, Genesis chapter 19, which was punished for violating the case law against homosexuality. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 23 for their lawless deeds according to the New Testament 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 6 through 8 
Indeed, according to Paul, all men know God's moral standards through general revelation, showing, quote, the work of the law written in their hearts, end quote. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. This universal communication of God's law is as broad as his ethical demands, not being restricted narrowly to the Ten Commandments. For example, Romans chapter 1, verse 32, where condemned homosexuals are said to know the ordinance of God. B. The principles of God's law are perpetual because they reflect the character of God, who is unchanging. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 and 8 declares, quote, Be holy, for I am Jehovah your God, and you shall keep my statutes and do them. End quote. This is how God's people sanctify themselves, becoming holy as God is holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Or imitating his perfection. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. In the context of the law's demands. The Old Testament teaches that the law of God is perfect, Psalm 19, verse 7, being holy, just, and good like God, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 28, and Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 13. And the New Testament viewpoint is the same. The law is perfect, James chapter 1, verse 25, holy, just, and good, Romans chapter 7, verse 12. Roman numeral 2. God's law is thorough in its extent. Letter A. His commandments apply to the matters of the heart, and not simply to external affairs. In the Old Testament, God required his people to seek him with all their hearts, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, and to circumcise their hearts, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, even as the New Testament continues to show that we are to love him with all of our hearts, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, and submit to his law in our thoughts, attitudes, and intentions. For example, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 48. B. God's law applies to every area of life. The commandments of God called his people to love him with everything they had. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Throughout the day, verse 7. At home and away from home, verse 9. Whether in thought or deed, verse 8. Indeed, man was to live by every word from God's mouth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 3 and verse 6. Likewise, the New Testament requires that every aspect of man's life and being be given over to the love of God. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. And that God's people demonstrate their holiness in all manner of living. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. C. God's law is a standard for all nations, not simply Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 6 and 8 clearly taught that the commandments delivered by Moses to Israel were to be her wisdom in the sight of the nations, who would exclaim, quote, What great nation is there that has statutes and ordinances so righteous as all this law? End quote. Similarly, Paul indicates that the standards of God's law are declared through natural revelation and are binding upon all men. Romans chapter 1, verse 32, and chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Because the nations once occupying Canaan violated the standards of God's law, God would punish them by expelling them from the land. Leviticus chapter 18 verses 24 through 27. Even as he would expel Israel if she violated his laws. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 17 and 18. The moral standard and the judgment on disobedience were the same between Israel and the nations. Accordingly, Paul teaches that all men, Jews and Gentiles, have sinned by violating God's law. Romans chapter 2, verse 9, and verses 19 and 20. 
And Jude declares that God will judge all ungodly men for all their ungodly deeds. Jude verses 14 and 15 where the Old Testament taught that, quote, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, end quote. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34. The New Testament teaches that whatever Christ has commanded is to be propagated to the nations. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. God's law binds all men at all times and all places. To this point, we have seen that the Old and New Testament agree perfectly that the law of God is perpetual in its principles, not being uniquely mosaic, but reflecting the eternal character of God, and thorough in its extent, touching matters of the heart, applying to all areas of life, and binding all mankind to obedience. At this juncture, it will be important to add that, Roman numeral 3, God's law is complementary to salvation by grace. A. The law is not to be used as a way of justification. The Old Testament teaches that in God's sight, no man living is righteous or justified. For if God marks iniquities, no man can stand. Psalm 143, verse 2. Psalm 130, verse 3. Instead, the just shall live by faith. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. The psalmist saw that, quote, Blessed is the man unto whom Jehovah imputes not iniquity, end quote, end quote. He that trusts in Jehovah, loving kindness will compass him about, end quote. Psalm 32, verse 2 and verse 10. Old Testament saints were not saved by law obedience, but by faith in the coming Savior, typified in the sacrifices of the Old Testament system. Likewise, the New Testament declares, in no uncertain terms, that, quote, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, end quote. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Indeed, quote, if righteousness is through the law, then Christ died for nothing, end quote. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. God's law is the standard of righteousness, but because sinners cannot conform to that standard, their salvation must come by God's grace through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. This was true in both Old and New Testaments. B. Obedience to God's law is harmonious with grace and saving faith. The Old Testament indicates that God's law was specially revealed to Israel in the context of his redeeming and delivering his people from bondage. Exodus chapter 19 verse 4 and chapter 20 verse 2. Those who were willing to keep his law had already been shown his grace. In this vein, David could sing, quote, Grant me thy law graciously, end quote. Psalm 119 verse 29. Feeling no tension between a proper use of God's grace and law. Those who were justified by faith in the Old Testament, such as Abraham and Rahab, were those who were so renewed by God's grace that they were willing to obey his demands. James chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. Those who were justified in living by faith, due to the grace of God, desired to obey the commandments of God out of respect for his authority, love of his purity, and gratitude for his salvation. The same holds true for saints in the New Testament. Paul says that we have not been saved by good works, but we have saved for good works. That is, in order to live obediently before God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. God's grace teaches us to renounce lawless deeds. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. And by faith we actually establish rather than nullify what was taught in the law of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 31. Roman numeral 4. God's law is central to his one covenant of grace. A. The law can epitomize or stand for the covenant itself. We read in Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 and 14, that circumcision could represent the very covenant itself that God made with Abraham. 
In like manner, the stipulations of the Mosaic Law could be used to stand for the covenant itself, as in Exodus chapter 24, verse 3 through 8, and Hebrews chapter 9, verses 19 and 20. Just as circumcision is the covenant, so also is the law God's covenant. This is why the tables of the law and commandments which God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus chapter 24, verse 12, can actually be called the tables of the covenant, Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 9, verse 11, and verse 15. Accordingly, when Jeremiah speaks of the new covenant which is to come, he indicates that the law of God is central to its provisions. Quote, I will put my laws into their mind, and on their heart will I write them. End quote. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33. This is quoted when the New Testament reflects upon the character of the new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. Using these words as a summary for the whole. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. Concern for the covenant then entails concern for the law of God in both Old and New Testaments. B. The law given through Moses served the Abrahamic covenant of promise rather than being antithetical to it. According to the Old Testament, it is precisely as the God of Abraham, and it is just because of the covenant made with Abraham that God dealt with Moses in a covenantal fashion. Exodus chapter 2 verse 24 and chapter 3 verse 6. The exodus or deliverance granted to the Israelites through Moses was a realization of the promise made to Abraham. Exodus chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. God had promised in the Abrahamic covenant to be a God to Abraham and his seed, who would become God's people. Genesis chapter 17 verse 7 and 8. This same blessing was held forth in God's deliverance through Moses. Exodus chapter 6 verse 7. In particular, this Abrahamic promise would be the reward for conformity to the Mosaic law. Quote, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, I will be your God and you shall be my people. End quote. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 3 and verse 12. The Old Testament did not recognize an antagonism between the Abrahamic covenant of promise and the Mosaic covenant of the law. Neither does the New Testament. Paul reflects with inspired accuracy on the relationship between the Abrahamic promise and the Mosaic law. Galatians chapter 3, verse 17 and asks, quote, Is the law then against the promises of God? End quote. The answer is decisive. Quote, May it never be. End quote. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21. The law rather served to bring about the fulfillment of the promise made with Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, verse 22, and verse 29. The Mosaic law which established the commonwealth of Israel at Sinai is deemed by Paul as one of the covenants of the promise. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Throughout Scripture, the law is congruent with the promise. C. Likewise, the Abrahamic promise, which is realized in Christ, serves the purposes of the Mosaic law. The Old Testament perspective was that the people who enjoyed the promise ought to obey the law of God. It was expected that when Israel received what, quote, the God of your fathers has promised unto you, end quote, the people would, quote, keep all his statutes and his commandments, end quote, as revealed by Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Likewise, the New Testament sees those who belong to Christ, the one whom Abraham's promise was given, Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, as the seed of Abraham and heirs according to promise, Galatians chapter 3, verse 7 and verse 29. They received the promise by faith and thus should not desire to be under the law as a way of justification lest they fall from grace. Galatians chapter 3 verse 2, verse 6 through 14, 24 through 26, 
Galatians chapter 4, verse 21, and chapter 5, verse 4. However, those who enjoy the Abrahamic promise in Christ do so by a faith working through love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. Which is to say, a faith that obeys the law. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. A faith that walks by the Spirit and thereby does not violate the law. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 23. God's Son of Promise makes us to walk after the Spirit so that we keep the ordinance of the law. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Therefore, we observe that the promise serves the law even as the law serves the promise, and this reciprocal relation is revealed in both the Old and New Testaments alike. The law plays an integral role throughout God's one covenant of grace. Roman numeral 5. God's law is taken by His people as a redemptive token and delight. The preceding discussion of the law of God is focused on its objective character and function. It is important that we also take note of the subjective attitude which is expressed toward the law of God in both Old and New Testaments. The negative polemic against the law which is often heard today cannot be squared with the feeling and evaluation of the inspired biblical writers. According to them, a. Obedience to the law is their token of redemption, proof of their love, and sign of their dedication to the Lord. The Old Testament taught that the very meaning of God's law and obedience to it was that God had delivered his people. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 20 through 25. For example, Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15. Indeed, not keeping the commandments of God was identified as forgetting one's redemption. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 11 through 17. And it was clear that salvation was far from those who did not desire God's statutes. Psalm 119 verse 155. Similarly, in the New Testament, where life eternal is to know Christ, John chapter 17, verse 3, we indicate that we know him if we keep his commandments, and it is a lie to say that one knows Christ who does not keep his commandments. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. The Old Testament said that those who love the Lord will obey his commandments. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 and 13. And New Testament love for the Lord is proved in the same way. John chapter 14, verse 15 and 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. Dedication to God and His purposes was signaled in the Old Testament by adherence to God's law. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 17, and Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. Things are not different in the New Testament, where those who choose to follow Christ rather than the beast are identified as those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, and Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. In either Old or New Testament, it would be unthinkable for a redeemed saint who loved the Lord and was dedicated to Him to spurn, criticize, or disobey the law of God. B. God's law was to be loved as a delight and blessing. Although men may scoff, the delight of the godly man is found in the law of the Lord. Psalm 1, verse 2, and Psalm 119, verse 16. That man is happy, said the Old Testament, who greatly delighted... In God's law. Psalm 112, verse 1. Paul's New Testament viewpoint was identical. Quote, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. End quote. Romans chapter 7, verse 22. To John, the law of God was such a joy that he could declare, quote, His commandments are not burdensome. End quote. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3b. It is sin, that is, according to both Testaments, violation of God's covenants. Joshua chapter 7, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 24 verse 5 and 1 John chapter 3 verse 4 that is detested by God's people for it brings death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. 
Apart from man's sinful inability, the law itself is graciously ordained rather unto life. Leviticus chapter 18 verse 5, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 29, Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 11, verse 13 and verse 21, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 7 and 8. It is not the Old Testament only that recognizes this fact. Paul discerns the connection between obedience to the law and life in the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verses 2 through 4, verses 6 and 7, and verses 12 through 14 and confesses that, apart from his sinful corruption, the law is meant to communicate life. Romans chapter 7 verse 10 Anything that is against the law's demands, then, is also against health-giving, sound doctrine, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 through 10, and chapter 6 verse 3. God gave us his law for our good, and for that reason, Old and New Testament writers rejoice in it. It is to our shame if we do not emulate their attitude. Roman numeral 6. God's law is eternal and is not to be altered. In a day when many view the law of the Lord as arbitrary, expendable, or temporary in its authority for the life of man, it is highly valuable to observe the outlook of the inspired writers. Moses wrote that forever it would go well with God's people to observe the commandments which he revealed. Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 28. David exclaimed that, quote, All his precepts are sure, they are established forever and ever. End quote. Psalm 111, verses 7 and 8. Psalm 119, verse 152. Indeed, the eternal authority of God's commands characterizes each and every one of them. Quote, every one of thy righteous ordinances endureth forever. End quote. Psalm 119, verse 160. Looking unto the fearful day of the Lord, when the wicked will be consumed with fire, Malachi chapter 4 verse 1, the prophet Malachi pronounces as one of the final words of the Old Testament, quote, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, end quote. Malachi chapter 4 verse 4. However, in the pages of the New Testament, we hear the words of one who is far greater than Moses, David, or any prophet of old. Their testimony to the eternal authority of God's law is pale in comparison to the absolutely clear and utterly unchallengeable declaration of Jesus Christ that God's commandments, each and every one, is everlastingly valid. Quote, Truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, until everything has come about, one letter or one stroke shall by no means pass away from the law. End quote. Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. The Old and New Testaments unite in this doctrine. The voice of the two Testaments is further united in saying that God's law is not to be altered. David recognized that God commands only what is just and right, and thus to depart from his commands is to deviate from moral integrity. Quote, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. All thy commandments are righteousness. End quote. Psalm 119 verse 128 and verse 172. To change or ignore any of God's commands is necessarily to create an unrighteous or unjust pattern for behavior. Therefore, the law itself guards against alterations within itself. Quote, you shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish from it, in order that you may keep the commandments of Jehovah your God. End quote. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2 and Deuteronomy chapter 12 verse 32. No man has the prerogative to tamper with the requirements laid down by God. Only God himself, 
the lawgiver, has the authority to abrogate or alter his commandments. Yet the testimony of God incarnate in the New Testament is that the law is not to be changed, even with the momentous event of his coming. Quote, Do not think that I came to abrogate the law or the prophets. Therefore, whoever shall break one of the least of these commandments, and shall teach men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. End quote. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 19. God's eternal and righteous law is unalterable, according to the joint teaching of the Old and New Testaments. Roman numeral 7. Therefore, we are obligated to keep the whole law today. Anyone who suggests, without authorization from the Word of God, that some law of the Old Testament is not binding upon our behavior today, would fall under the double censure of both the Old Testament and New Testament writers. Such a suggestion would contradict the perpetuity and extent of God's law as taught in both Testaments. It would evidence forgetfulness of God's mercies, violate the covenant, and deprive God's people of one of their delights. Such a suggestion would stand diametrically opposed to the eternality and immutability of the law and set forth in the Old and New Testaments. To challenge the law without biblically revealed direction from the Lord is to grieve and challenge Him, so that those who do so will be demoted within God's kingdom. Unless Scripture itself shows us some change with respect to God's law or our obedience to it, the principle which governs our attitude and behavior should be the same as the Bible's categorical assumption namely that our instruction in righteous behavior is found in every Old Testament scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Every point of the law, James chapter 2, verse 10. Even the least commandment, Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, and chapter 23, verse 23. Every word, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. And every letter, Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. This is clear from the major points, to which both Old Testament and New Testament give assent, that have been reviewed about the law above. Given these agreed-upon points, we have no reason to expect that the New Testament would categorically or silently release the believer from his moral duty to God's law. Conclusion To summarize, we must assume continuity of moral duty between the Old Testament and New Testament. Accordingly, by operating upon this biblical assumption, the burden of scriptural proof lies directly and heavily upon anyone who would deny the validity of the relevant authority of some particular Old Testament stipulation for our day. The next time you hear someone say, quote, we need not follow that commandment because it is the Old Testament law, end quote, you should say to yourself, if not also to him, quote, that kind of assertion will require some explanation and clear biblical proof before any faithful Christian can accept it, end quote. Faithful and inspired authors of Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, wrote to just the opposite effect. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com 
to volunteer as a narrator, or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.